1: Hello and welcome to a very special Pride Week edition of 1 to 1, a series in which I, Bertie, a longtime writer on Eurogamer, find lovely people from around the world of games to talk to. Today, someone very special. I'm very excited. They're someone who helped create one of the game series I love. And help fundamentally shape the output of a studio whose worlds and characters shape me uh, that series is dragon age and that studio is bioware um, but this person's not there anymore eight years ago it's quite a long time now they moved on eventually finding themselves all the way over in australia where they founded um, a new studio that's working on an amazing sounding musical role-playing game they are the legend that is david gator david welcome to the show
0: <laughs> hello thank you thank you
1: um how are you i understand um you're deep in voiceover recording territory on your yeah. new game i still Gods really by Robin the Horses. idea
0: that it's been eight years since i was at bioware it's like uh, yeah it has been uh, i have to take back
1: <laughs> time time flies oh, right God. but then we also we have those invisible years that are the uh the pandemic years i yes. suppose yeah, So. Yeah, yeah.
0: And then I, I had two years in between where I was at uh, another studio called Bean Dog as well. So it's, I'm trying to do the math in my head. It's like,
1: has it been that long since I put out a game with my name on it? Yeah, yeah, it has. Yes, yes. <laughs> right, because uh, yeah. I, was, I was looking today. I, I was like, oh, I better just check, you know, when, when David left Bioware. Because in my head it was not like that long two years ago. ago. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. But I it turns out it's much took cleaner. a long time when I'm talking to people. Uh, from the studio, uh, and, and I, it took a long time for me to stop saying we. So right. Referring to BioWare, or referring to BioWare as, as we. Uh, it's they.
1: <laughs> Do you feel like you've got that distance now that you you look at it as a, a yeah. different company? not a different yeah. company. I mean,
0: it has changed a lot even uh, from the time I was there. It was in the process of changing internally uh, around the time I left. and I mean, there are still a number of people there who I worked with and, and, and cared about, but a lot of others have have moved on as well. So I think it's probably a very different company from the one I knew anyhow.
1: Yeah. So how is the voiceover recording going for your your new game? We've already cleared up that you are kind of conference calling with America. Yeah. They are not, in fact, all coming to all Australia. All coming. Yeah, that would be nice.
0: So Why you come to Australia? I'm sure they wouldn't mind. Uh, for the most part, if we could, if we could foot the bill. But like, wow, that would be super expensive. Um, <laughs> it would. Yeah, uh, it's quite alright. just uh, we have a game um, that not only has a lot of uh, dialogue um, to record, which we're trying to record to the level of quality that I knew at, uh, at Bioware. Um, of course. We have a lot of uh, singing as well, and um, that's something that I've never done before. Well. It hasn't really been done for games because I mean I'm sure I'm sure singing has been done, but this is um, these are interactive songs, which means that if you have a song that say is three minutes long, you need well, we, the way we've worked it out is you need approximately eight times um, as much content, so you need a, a 24 minute 24 minutes of of uh, song wow. recording in order to. Have all the different paths covered for for a single song, so it ends up. Uh, I think we got something like uh, four hours, a total co- for the game for this for stinging all told between all the all the cast members. So. That is, wow. a, yeah, a lot, and it's a lot of early mornings for me, especially ever since we did the daylight savings time, because a morning session for me means I'm up at 2 a.m. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, right?
1: I thought you were going to say, like, 5 a.m. or 6 a.m., but... Uh... No, no, 2 a.m.
0: For, for... Well, it was, for a while, it was 4 a.m. for the morning sessions, which was... Early enough, like I can still think of it as morning as opposed to 2 a.m., which is more like that's still evening of the previous day, honestly.
1: <laughs> so I was going to ask you about um, the songs in the game mm. because I've, mm. I've been looking at some of the footage of, of Stray Gods, uh, which is the game uh, that you're making. Stray Gods, yes. the role-playing musical, to give it right. its, um, <laughs> its full name. Um, and there's I've seen some pictures of kind of dialogue uh, wheels, which anyone who's played a Bioware game in the past will be, be very familiar with. with. Yeah. But it was this talk of interactive songs, mm. which is the game's sort of gameplay mechanic, uh, yeah. from, it sounds like to me, that I was like, I don't know how that works. I don't know what that is. Um, so it's intriguing. Can, can you kind of describe it? Well,
0: I mean, it, it actually harkens back to when I was at Bioware. We always joked about doing a musical Maybe a musical right. DLC or something, because um, I think I remember we, we, uh, the inspiration specifically was like um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. They had a musical episode in the sixth season, uh, which was it, the the musical musicals in that episode were diegetic, so as opposed to the music to the background and pe- the people in the kit aren't actually aware of it. It was in the world, and everybody was found themselves sort of trapped in these musicals and I was like, oh, that'd be okay. really cool to do like in The Fade or something and everybody was really keen and, we were, and actually, as soon as I brought it up, right away, our Loke team and our animators were all trying to figure out how, how we could solve the problems about it and I think that, I mean, uh, eventually, I think uh, uh, Mike Laidlosser said, well, okay, if, if we sell 10 million copies, then I will, <laughs> I will let you do a musical listening. I'm like, that's a high bar and of course, we didn't, didn't reach it but, um, I it was I left the studio always wanting to try that, and so when it, I mean I, I joined up uh, when I created Summerfall with uh, Liam Messler, who's my co-founder. Um, we we were like for our first project, what's something we want to tackle that is something a little bit interesting. And right away, I was like, interactive musical. So <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it. Turns out that uh, you know, when we finally sat down to actually solve all the technical and creative hurdles for that turns out that that was a a lot that
1: was a lot to chew chew on so you talked about um talking with uh, with or meeting up with with liam um mm. esler there because yes. the, the way i read it is that um i can't remember where i read this but uh, apparently you were at gdc in 2017 or something um and you were talking with liam Esler about what your dream game uh would be and it turned out that you two had very similar ideas about what your your dream game would be and you were that's that's how i understood it were yeah. you talking about a musical at this point no 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 um okay.
0: uh i met uh, liam liam uh esler ran gamer x australia uh, okay. oh, i don't remember what year that was now uh he ran it for for a couple of years a couple of years at least and um, the first or second year he ran it, uh, I came over as a guest, um, and that's where I met him. Basically, um, we we encountered each other briefly at Gamerex in in San Diego. Um, was it San Diego? No, San Jose. San Jose. Um, and then I went over as a guest, and that's when I got to know Liam, and we just became friends. And so back and forth on we you know talking on Twitter, and uh, one day he just we're just talking about. Uh, what kind of studio because liam was was thinking of of starting something sort of toying with the idea because you know he, he has uh, worked in a number of studios and yeah. and uh, in a creative capacity and had done a lot of investigation into sort of the the business side behind like what you need to do to start a studio and he was on, he was thinking actually of what kind of studio I would I, I would like to make and it just so happened, like I had given that sort of some some thought myself, because I was uh, uh, I had already left uh, Bioware and Bean Dog wasn't turned down quite like I hoped. So I was like, well, maybe yeah. I can start my own studio, even though I'm not really a business guy. And uh, when we we talked about like there wasn't a talk of a musical, it was more like um, the studio culture, like uh, where crunch, you know, we don't rely on crunch, yeah, where it's more more. Diverse, and not not as like a bullet point, but just you know, you have a studio started by by two queer men. It's like, uh, how can we make that sort of an advantage and and, yeah. and keep that as something that that is exists throughout all levels of our company, and what would our creative goals be in general, and and it just what we were very aligned. So he was like, well, uh, he he was running another another uh, conference called GCAP. Uh, um, which uh, is also in, in Melbourne. He's, and he said, well, why don't I get you over for a DCAP and we can meet and actually discuss it. And then, I mean, uh, we I came over and I think uh, the meeting where we sat down to talk about whether we could start a studio, I think within the hour, turned into a discussion of what our first project would be. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and that, that's when the idea of a musical came up. It seemed so innocent back then.
1: <laughs> so... I mean, say you, you decide to start a studio together. That's quite a long way to get, presumably you were in Canada at the time and then you moved to Australia. That's quite a, I'm doing it the wrong way. Uh, I was supposed to have moved to Australia.
0: I've been in Australia, lived in, living here for six months now. I was supposed to Ah. have been here for um, longer, but of course the pandemic happened, but yeah, I had to uproot my life, sell all my stuff and get, you know, empty out my house, sell my house and. And and transfer, but I mean, I I, um, I I don't know. I think it was at a stage in my life where I wanted to to go somewhere and try something different. I've been in Edmonton ever since I graduated high school, basically. Um, uh, lived in Alberta most most of my life. Alberta is a province in Western Canada where Edmonton is located. And um, so I wanted to try something new. And I guess an adventure. <laughs> And uh, uh, I had been to Melbourne a, a number of times. And, and I've no, heard
1: that Melbourne is lovely. I never got there it's myself. Beautiful.
0: But. It's beautiful. I just, um, I don't know, I, I did a lot of traveling when I was at Bioware. And uh, I don't know, you, you, I travel all over the place and you kind of get, go to cities and sometimes you get a feeling like whether this city has your vibe. Like, whether, like I, I, some cities I love. Like, I love New Orleans. I've been there five times.
1: Ah.
0: I could never live there. But I, I I love going and it's amazing and I love and I love it while I'm there, and then I, there's a, there's a, a couple of cities like Stockholm or, or or Seattle where I go and I'm like, this I could really live here. This is my kind of place. And, and Melbourne was just the 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 best of the bunch. I always wanted to go. Getting getting a getting a visa to actually for first Australia to let you move is quite something else. That was a long long process. But uh, uh, we wanted to try. Uh, and uh, it worked after, well, <laughs> finally during the pandemic, finally, because I mean, all immigration processes for most countries were slowed down to almost nothing. Uh, but we finally got it all all sifted through, and, and yeah, now
1: I'm here. And how, and how are you finding it? How how six months in Melbourne been?
0: Oh, good. Good, good, good. I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of adjustment. I mean, and, and so far as moving to a new country, I think. Uh, Australia lowered the bars as far as one could lower it. I mean, there's a, there's a bit of culture shock that, that comes with it. Like, just the, the attitudes here are, are quite different. But, I mean, yeah. it's, it's another English-speaking country in the Commonwealth, so it's, like, not not all that different. Driving on the other side of the road, however, <laughs> uh, you know, more of an adjustment than I thought it would be. It's like, I I'm so I feel like I'm 16 again and I'm just, I've just <laughs> learned to drive. I have... All my, all my spatial awareness and all my muscle memory about driving is gone. I can't, I have no uh, ability to judge like how, how, where my car ends on yeah. this, when I'm driving on this side of the car. And, and, this is not just on the different side of the road. You're on the other side of the car. You're, you're on the right, right side of the car and it's
1: like. So your hand is it, automatically going to a, a stick that's. Well, not... On, on yes
0: I, I for a while when i wanted to, to to turn on the signal signal light i would turn on my my windshield wipers <laughs> yes that that's one and and uh, um yeah and and uh, scratched up the car a couple times making a turn in, in a parking lot actually <laughs> not hitting an actual car and was like ah, why why is it why is it like this but yeah yeah no i i I really enjoyed it I thankfully uh, had an easy access to uh, apartment. another one of our co-founders uh, Ellie Young um, they had a place that I could stay and that made it made the transition a little bit easier so I can spend my time like looking around for um, oh, nice. where I want to live long term yeah
1: yeah so presuming it's going to be a big year this year for Summerfall and uh, Stray Gods. Um, am I on the right kind of track there? Because there's no release date for the game yet, is there? No. We ah. I mean, uh, there's
0: only so long we want to work on it, so it's either this year or next for sure.
1: Awesome. I'm genuinely super excited because, well, I mean, while we're on the topic of musicals, it, <laughs> do you have a favourite? Jeez,
0: oh, that's a... Uh... That's a big question. I, I don't have a single favourite. I could list off... I could rattle off a, a lot of musicals I love, but to
1: pick one? Which are some musicals that you love?
0: Oh, uh, Into the Woods. Ah. Um, uh, the original... the. It's funny, because uh, um, um, Hadestown uh, became, went onto Broadway while we were working on the game, although when we knew of it back before it went to Broadway and that was sort of one of the inspirations for the game. Um, I mean, then there's, then there's like the, the Buffy musical, which is, which is really good. Um, of course, obviously an inspiration as, as I mentioned, um, there's there's so many musicals and I'm like, I actually, I actually be a big fan of Disney musicals. Okay. I mean, while they're yeah, I guess they're for kids. It's just that everybody knows the songs, and some some of them were so good. Little Mermaid, I think, actually, is one of them.
1: That's a banger. It has the best, it's the
0: best. is the best of the Disney musicals, I think. Is that a controversial statement? I don't think so. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I don't know because <laughs> I think you're in safe territory with a classic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. 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 No, there's there's a, the number in it. I probably. If I went back and looked at a list now I'd be like oh I forgot about oh God I love oh God I love that one you know so, so. but into the woods is my go- to normally if I if I have to listen to a soundtrack that isn't like if I'm not in the mood for like lame is you know <laughs> to something big and epic and, and sweeping then it's like then I got to then I gotta listen to into the woods and be like listen to something hilarious like agony or
1: <laughs> so it- is that the kind of feeling that you're trying to evoke? Are you trying to evoke a musical feeling, like vibe, in Yes. The okay.
0: uh, well, I think the, the the thing you could say is that it specifically harkens to musical theatre. Okay. Um, because the the interactive mu- musical uh, uh, th- song, each song is a showpiece that is part of the plot. It's like you could think of it as a boss battle. It's like the the the, the plot has a, the, has like a, a chapter that has lots of uh, interactive dialogue and, and uh, you know, adventure leading up. And then there's boom, there is the climax of that chapter, which occurs in song. And the reason I say musical theater is sort of the what you want to think of is because it's necessary to understand the lyrics. characters oh, okay. are communicating, plot is developing, and the player is making choices based on what they see happening and the, each choice they make. It, it, just like dialogue, um, you know, they, 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 what, what happens next depends on their choice, but it's not just dialogue, it is the music changes as well. If you, if you take an option that is more aggressive, for instance, um, we have uh, songs that are sort of split into tones uh, okay. responses. You get three responses, kick-ass, clever, <laughs> and charming. So if you take a kick-ass option, the the music will actually change and you will get like more drums and it will get more more strident and stuff and then that's the, the the tone of the response as well as so you sort of make your path and then the decisions at the end of the song um, some songs have have like say maybe two to two two options at the end some have more some have options that are restricted based on what you've done previously in the game Wow. but the, you end up you end up at sort of the the end decision of the song which then uh, these are the major branching points for the as the story goes forward
1: it sounds wonderful sounds sounds very inventive because of course um games have long been lumbered with this i'm not necessarily sure i want to call it a problem but maybe it is this problem of combat where combat became the gameplay uh in games that, that all games felt like they needed to have because that that was the gameplay part of the game so it's interesting to see you come up with a different solution to yeah the- well, that was actually one of the discussions. Is like, um,
0: I mean, I, I don't know that that, that we, we would say uh, we'll never do combat as a company, but I thought we thought it was interesting to explore ways of, of resolving conflict that weren't specifically violent. Um, there, there, there are games that do. Like, I mean, uh, one of my favorite RPGs uh, in the last few years, uh, Disco Elysium, has no combat, and it's funny when when we actually got brought up. I had to think. To disco Leasing, we have no combat night to think and like no it didn't it was just it was just dialogue and interactions and, and, I, and I was like oh it's amazing I, I like that idea I, I do think that that uh, uh, in a to a degree um, I think the game development has become a little lazy in sort of their view of combat as the the only thing that that people are interested in I mean uh, you could use the same mechanics and have like a, um, a, a game about s- uh, social interactions. Like, let's say, I mean, just just off the top of my head, here's an RPG set in high school where you got clicks that are sort of competing with social dynamics. And you could have combat that has, like, you know, intense stare <laughs> or, or, you know, clever takedown as the maneuvers and your hit points are sort of like your, your confidence meter. I mean, that, that just... Sounds uh, like you're describing head, Mean Girls the game. Yeah, yeah. Mean Girls, the RPG, and I mean, it's not combat. It's not violence. I mean, it is maybe combat in a sense, but I mean, there's so much you you could do within that space. I think having everything come down to battles. Uh, I mean, not that I don't mind uh, playing a game that we really where I just, I just, you know, do some good old fighting with my my, my party of companions. I love that too. Uh, but I think that there's, there are more options out there.
1: Yeah, and it's nice to see more things catered for now. I think there's a wider pool of, of game types, and, and I think people are, are quite into trying those things, especially with things like Game Pass, you know, making things more readily available so you can dip into something. And um...
0: Yeah, and I mean, that's specifically for, for Straight Gods. I mean, we, there are people that maybe have played Viper games and are, are narrative interested people they're part of our target audience, but there are some people that, that just love musicals and maybe aren't gamers much at right. all, and that's, that's I mean, uh, uh, Straight Gods doesn't have a lot in the terms of uh, mechanics, I right. guess, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, fiddly mechanics that you need to figure out. There there are some traits that you, that you level up in, and um, it's a rather simple mechanic to, to gate uh, different types of content, both in dialogue and in songs. But the idea is is that somebody who isn't you know a big gamer could sit down and easily play through the game and I think that was important to us as well that um, I think that you can do there, there's a way to invite more people to the table than than just people who are already self identify as, as gamers
1: yeah for sure um it sounds very exciting I'm very excited to play it um, but I wanted to go back in time a little bit now um kind of oh, quite okay. far back in time actually uh to back before bioware even um because i like finding out how people kind of ended up where they did and like hearing kind of the journey of life and to me sometimes it offers clues about you know the kind of things they ended up making or um you know the way they are i suppose um so let's go back to, to little david eating an ice cream somewhere Maybe you haven't noticed that <laughs> okay. it's melting <clears throat> over the side and it's about to, to fall off. Um, when little David... does <laughs> sound right. When little David... I still do that. When little David uh, thought about the future, what, what did he think it held for him, uh, for you? What did you want to be when you grew up?
0: You know, I don't know. Um, I think back, and I don't think I ever had a clear path of what... I, like I, I never had a goal, like, I want to be this. Um... Even in high school, I knew I wanted to go to university, um, and I think I think uh, for a long time, my vague goal was journalism. Right, um, and I got accepted into Carleton University in Ottawa uh, for for the School of Journalism, um, and I was like, yes, because I, I enjoyed writing. I knew that, um, and then um, my plan sort of got dashed uh, because I couldn't get. Uh, Funding. Okay. Um, I wasn't. I was able to get uh, um, a scholarship because my parents made too much money. Because the system back then didn't look at how much what their financial situation actually was. It just looked at the gross amount of what they made. And my parents were very much in debt at the time, and they really couldn't afford to send me to school on on, on their dime. So I was like, all right, well, I will um, take some. Time off and work, and uh, maybe reapply as an adult, an adult, as an adult student in a couple of years, uh, when my parents' finances aren't looked at for in terms of the for the scholarship. Um, and that was uh, my general plan at the time. But I mean, uh, I didn't develop that plan until you know suddenly everyone was saying you have to. <laughs> Prior to that, like if you know, you're talking about young David with the ice cream cone. Yeah <laughs> so, no idea.
1: Same. Uh, oh, um... Are games a part of your life at, at, at this age? What kind of role do they play?
0: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, I I still remember being aware uh, when my neighbor, um, we were living oh, we were living in a trailer. That's all I can remember. I don't remember where it was, but our neighbor in the trailer next to us had Pong. <laughs> and it, it required its own console and had these, these little... Um, um, not joysticks even, it was like a paddle that was a dial that you turn back and forth to move the the thing. And I was fascinated. This was like in the mid-70s, so I had to be really young. And I remember that. It was like, it stuck in my head. And uh, just games developed from there, right? And I mean, um, I had my first, uh, what was our my first piece, like personal computer, um, was sort of, belonged to my brother and I, bought my, by my parents. It was like one of the, the first ones, and it just, it just, you know, kept replacing from there. And, and uh, I was playing games uh, on computers right from the get-go.
1: Were you, um, were tabletop games? Because I I read that you were um, very, I read that in, in this Bioware book we were talking about before, this Bioware 25 book that was released like a year or two ago, um, I think, James, there's a bit about, you coming to Bioware, which we'll get onto in in, in a second, but there's a bit where James Onan was apparently really impressed with your D uh knowledge and lore. knowledge.
0: Yeah. I mean I, I come by my my nerd cred, honestly. <laughs> uh not only was I into computer games, um, I was also playing D D right from the basic rule set uh when it was released. And, and it's funny, man, when I got the job I hadn't played Dungeons Dragons for a long time. I think D D um went through a period where it was not popular you know the, the fact that it's hit this resurgence today is amazing but there was a period um i think before the release of third edition uh where D&D had kind of followed by the wayside i wasn't playing anymore i had moved on to more narrative style uh tabletop games like vampire the masquerade or, or, or a, a couple other ones like shadowrun um and uh, But when d first came out, right up through 2nd edition, I was a uh, fanatic. Like, I loved the idea. Yeah, my, my, my mom actually bought my brother um, the basic rule set, but I think it ended up being mine way more than his, because I was way more interested. I um, just, uh, just DMing, uh, being the dungeon master, always really appealed to me. And it actually—if uh, I, you know, just—I remember uh, to this day, uh, I, I, my, my mother, uh, she used to always say to me, like, "I'm so interested in tables." She's like, "Well, the, you know, you need to find some other interest because this will—you can never this D and D's will never turn into a job, will it?" And to this day, I say, so, mom, remember back when you said that Dungeons and Dragons would never turn into a job? She's like, yes, I know. I know, so,
1: I know. <laughs> so the story goes, according to this, um, this, this Bioware book anyway, that from my perspective, you know, you're, you're this guy who worked at Bioware. You created some, you know, the series that I loved. And it, in my mind, you've had this um, planned out path to get you to Bioware. And but, no. but you were working in a hotel. Yeah. uh, When I said I I took time off
0: uh, to go to university, my my two years off turned into just uh, jobs. I could never save up very much money. Right, that's just the way it goes. And I ended up working in the hospitality sector. And I uh, I had a creative outlook I mean, I I um, played tabletop with my friends, and I ran uh, Mars live action role playing, and I and I. And the LARPs actually is what uh, ended up being what got what me What kind of LARPs is, uh... did you run? Uh, not the there's either... I think the type that most people think of when you mention LARPs is the type where you're running out, outdoors and you have, like, uh, padded swords and, and you throw bean bags. <laughs> you know, lightning bolt, lightning bolt. I've seen the video. Um, that's not what I did. Yeah, uh, that's not what I ran. I was into parlor LARPs, like the um, for Vampire or... Uh, I actually then went on and I made sort of my own version of a LARP, uh, which was, uh, I called it Sovereign, where everybody played uh, the king of a uh, fantasy kingdom had died and all the players played prominent roles within that kingdom, like were important people. And the, the game was that they would gather and, uh, and figure out who was going to be the next king. That was sort of my game that I made, and I made a rule book for it. So uh, one of the people, one of the friends I had who played in this game, um, when see I knew he worked for a, 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 like a, game, a dev company. I just um, figured that he worked for them remotely. I, I had no idea that there was a company in Edmonton because there City, weren't many right? companies but, in uh, Edmonton,
1: Edmonton, right? This was yeah.
0: No, no, not at all. It just a uh, you know the. Video games were made, like, I don't know, California, I guess, or somewhere else. Um, and uh, he worked there, and James Olin, uh, they just finished uh, Baldur's Gate 1, and I, I had heard of Baldur's Gate, the first one, uh, but I hadn't played it at this point, and I also figured that it was made somewhere else. Um, and I was interested, because, I mean, it, it was like a translation of Dungeons & Dragons, which intrigued me, but I hadn't played it yet, and they were starting the second game and it was going to be much bigger and so James Olin asked people at the company said if anyone if you know anyone who has written anything game related to completion let me know and so this this book I had made for this sovereign game, this LARP um, one of my friends, uh, Calvin Lyle uh, he was uh, uh, an artist at Bioware since he moved on quite a long time ago Um, uh, I don't remember where he is now but uh he gave James this rule book, and James thought, oh that's really interesting at least because I guess he thought this guy must have a an idea for like game design at least to to write a rule book, make his own rule make his own sort of version of uh a game, and so he called me out of the blue okay I mean I had not considered this a path for me um while I was uh, the thing I sort of did as a creative outlet other than tabletop was I was a a comic book artist and I sort of had sent stuff off to actually uh, apply at some comic publishers it was sort of my idea that I would that I would get uh, maybe you know that was my pie in the sky uh, hope and then um, so I get this call out of the blue from this guy who works for a company called Bioware and he's like Would you be interested in coming in for an interview to be a writer? I'm like, oh, I haven't written in ages. Like, written um, stories. Written, like, tabletop stuff, uh, uh, large stuff, game stuff, sure. But I hadn't written uh, fiction in a long time, so I was like, I guess, sure. And I had uh, some short stories I wrote wrote in (laughs) high school. (laughs) brought those. I was 27 <laughs> okay. at the time. So it was, it was a, fair, a fair number of years ago for me at the time. It was like, ah, some terrible short stories. And, but James, I don't know if James even read them. I think he just wanted to know I could write. Uh, but when we sat down, uh, I mean, uh, Baldur's Gate requires some knowledge of Dungeons & Dragons, so he wanted to see if I knew anything about it. I'm like, yeah! So we just started immediately talking about, D- we nerding out about D&D, and I think it was Impressed at the the depth of my knowledge, like I think I, or w- we talking. was talking about how much I love the Drow as an enemy, uh, in uh, as a as an enemy culture in those uh, dragons. And I, I out like, and we like I was like, but everybody goes to Lolf as the the deity, but there are other Drow gods, and I, and, and I and I whipped out Ganador as a, I think was he is he the um, Drow god of.
1: His, I'm, not sure. I'm not sure, I'm
0: not sure, this I is think. a level that I'm not sure about. Yeah, yeah, uh, Uzzah the Slides, or he's the, the thief Drow God. Um, I mean, the other one everyone knows is Elastrae, which is the, the good uh, Drow Goddess. But I mentioned Ganodar, and that was like a level, that was a deep dive of nerdery that he pressed even James. So he was like, you know what, you seem to know your stuff, why don't you, why don't you come and just try it out?
1: And exactly. I, I said no. <laughs> because you I, I said no. You thought that they were a bit a bit Sorry, a bit of a, a shambles or yeah. Dodgy. Dodgy's a good word.
0: Uh, it was a little
1: dodgy. They they were in a um
0: um the place where they had the offices was kind of it had ductwork hanging out of the ceiling and, and there were boxes everywhere and it looked like they could just pack up and fold at any minute. Like, it looked like something out of a neighbor <laughs> on Elm Street, and uh, if that's a reference, that works for you these days, um, and I was like, I had, I was managing a hotel, like, I wasn't just in hospitality. I was a hotel operations manager, um, I had a, it was a decent job, I had my own, I lived by myself in an apartment, and uh, the money they were offering for this writing job was considerably lower, like, in order to take it, I would have to give up my apartment, get a roommate, uh,
1: move, I see, uh,
0: change a lot of stuff, live a different like change my lifestyle, and I was like, all that for a job which could go, bit, you know, fits <laughs> up at any moment, yeah. and I so I said no.
1: <laughs> but I read that,
0: and then uh, and, and it's it's, it's funny, it, it, it was just meant to be, because uh, that was on a Friday. And on Monday, I went into my hotel where I was working, and my regional manager from out east, uh, Mississauga, was in to tell me that the hotel I was renting had been purchased by a a different management company. And just as a as a sort of as a routine thing, all the management were of the hotel were laid off like that day. Uh, and you'd have to reapply uh, for your job, and so I'm walking out with my box of stuff from my my desk and I was like I, maybe I will like you know I called James I'm like is that job still available he's like,
1: yeah, so when sure. you when you go in for your for your first day you know and you you sit there and because it's all a bit new it's not like you have come from working at a similar studio and you knew the processes and things like that what, yeah. what did they have you do he's like oh hi you know w- welcome to work this is where you'll be sitting write me something I don't don't know do you remember that first day
0: um well I mean the first few days uh, maybe more than a few days was all reading documentation honestly because Baldur's Gate 2 was this massive project and I was like I first it was like what is what are you (laughs) planning here and it was kind of it wasn't fully planned at that point so there was lots of different documents like Things they wanted to try, and some areas that they had done, and they'd done. They'd started some. They'd already started some writing on some of the followers and the, the, the initial areas in a city called Athkatla. So I was looking a lot at what this uh, the design for Athkatla was going to be, and who these characters they were writing were. Because I didn't create any of the characters. They were sort of like here's here are some, and they each had like a a few scenes already written. And then it was me going into this. They had a tool set where you did write all the dialogue, and I tried to figure out like how do I, how do I use this? And you have to chain blocks of text together. Okay, all right. So within by the end of the week, um, it was like a, James brought me in. like okay, um, here's here's like a written plan. I think it was a, there was a, a bar in KatLA called the Copper Coronet. Um, where you would meet a number of the followers, like Anaman, who, who I was going to be writing, and I think one of the other ones, and there were you know some other, some other little quests including and there was this one quest that was in the bar where you could do some pit fighting, and he's like, okay, here's the plan for this. Can you write the dialogues that occur in the Copper Cornet, um, just so I can see how you do? And I remember I said that was like All right. This, this feels like it's just like I'm doing it like working. Uh, I'm doing tabletop, right? And that really, there's a lot yeah. of correlation between writing a tabletop game and writing for uh, this because I can I totally innately understood that it's like I'm I'm not directing. I'm, I'm I i do not direct the plot so much as I lay breadcrumbs for them to sort of follow. Uh, but if they have to be able to speak. Um, according to their own character. like I'm not giving them a voice. Yeah. I'm giving them options of different voices. And I understood that a lot of times we, if you're a prose writer you come to game writing, that can be a hard thing to wrap your head around. But for a tabletop it was like, no, no, I understand. This is, the, this is the player's show and I'm just trying to guide them through different possibilities. So I sat down and, and uh, I'd already figured out what the tool set by that point <laughs> and I went Poof. and the next day I go to James and I'm like, alright, I'm done. He's like what? He'd given me like a week to to write it, I'm like, no, I'm done. And he took a look at what i would read, written, and it, he, it was all good. He didn't have anything. I bet he couldn't
1: believe change. his luck.
0: He was like, oh. Huh. Yeah, yes. Uh, for a long time, uh, I was known if I <laughs> were as the machine, uh, because I mean, the, the one of my uh, other writers, uh, Luke Christensen. He was, he, he was worked on BG1 before I me. Mean, he'd, he'd written a lot of that by himself. Um, I think with uh, one other writer helping him out. And so he was a little burnt out at that point. So he, his, his, pro, his productivity was quite slowed at the time. And they were trying, you know, I, I eventually burnt out as well. Like later though, much later. Um, but I mean, uh, you just have to, that's something that you um, have to work through when you're at a company that has creative people working for you. They have ups and downs and, uh, yes, he, he thought he was very lucky because for a number of years, I was the person that just, not only uh, I could just take something and, just, and it would be done very quickly, um, I, it was also the type of writing that James really, it was the style that he preferred uh, specifically, and which other writers had some trouble emulating, but I... I you know, So, it would, for them, it was to He would be like, Well, you, you could never quite put into words what he wanted, but I was like <laughs> James Whisperer. They said, uh, I, I, you know, Sometimes I would, I would come to him and i like, give him something. And he'd have, he'd have a, an issue with, with what I'd done. And he would say, Well, here's what I think you should do to fix this. And I understood James pretty well at the time. So, I was just like, I hear what you're saying. Like, I would walk away and I'm in my head, I'm like, I, I heard what he said. Um, but knowing him, when he says uh, that he, he wants this to change, I think I think I'm gonna do this different thing because I think that will actually solve what he thinks the problem is. And then he'd get it, and he'd be like, "Oh, yeah, this is it. This is it exactly." And everybody else would be like, because if they didn't, if they didn't do what he told them to, he'd be doubly mad. And I'm like, the the thing was is that if I had done that and it hadn't worked, then yes, he would have been doubly mad at me. But he it. it I generally was correct. So even though I didn't have any experience, um, I, and the games industry had not been my, my chosen path. I just sort of fell into it and yeah. uh, was doing a really and good job. It, and, it and goes
1: I, very well because, you know, before long you start, I think you're a lead writer by the time you get to um, Neverwinter Nights expansion, Horde, Horde of the Underdark, which is a really good yes. expansion. That was the very That's first time a, I was leading. A lead. very good expansion. Um, yeah. And then after that, you get a chance to start something from scratch. So, again, I think the way the story goes, apparently, is James Olin again invites you into his office or something like that um, and tells you Bioware <laughs> is making two new yeah. games, um, two new series. In fact, uh, yes. one is going to be sci-fi. And of course, this turns out to be Mass Effect. Um, and the other is going to that be sounds, fantasy. Yeah. And of course, this, well, it's called Chronicles or something at the time. But this um, or Chronicle. that was the the code Um, but it turns out to be um to be dragon age and and he sets you loose on this and and he gives you a historical atlas or something i don't has he just got that lying around i don't yeah
0: um a uh historical atlas of right european history um Mm. it's sort of like a it's a it's a visual atlas so it goes through history and sort of having all history on the maps and Ah. i guess the what his intention was is that if this is going to be um like we wanted to create a world but he wanted sort of a believable history i guess or sort of something that was like pseudo europe and i mean i wish i wish some of the the conversation um that has happened since like how not all fantasy needs to be pseudo european i wish i i'd been keyed into that discussion earlier because i might have i might have said at the times like does it have to be here? But I mean, this is what he wanted, and he wanted something that was very Tolkien-esque and D and D-esque, and I was like, cool. So I can where did do that. you stop?
1: Because I've always wondered this. I, I wonder where, um, you know, someone goes right. well, I just need you to dream up a world, and you're like, all right, no, you know, no, no biggie. I'll I'll just pop off and do that. Sure. So so yeah. when you've got a blank piece of paper <laughs> in front of you, um, where do you begin? Now I think I read something about you began by writing down what you didn't like about D and D, or something like that.
0: Uh, well, not me personally, like on my own. Uh, uh, James and I were having conversations. Like okay. he just sent me off, and okay. six months later, I came back with like, "Here's the world." <laughs> um, we would have regular talks about what we could do with this world. And uh, you're right. Uh, a lot of our initial talks, like if, it is, if we're if we're making something that is D and D, but not D and D. Let's start with what are the things we don't like about D and D, and I had a lot of opinions on this. Um, so I was, it was, I guess when I say we were discussing, it was more like here's me ranting at James about all the things I don't like about D and D as a setting, because um, so I just don't think it's a very co- like if you look at the, one of the, the primary settings for it is is is, 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 is Faerun, um, and Faerun I consider it to be less of a setting and more a patchwork. Of different types of, uh, of fantasy settings, you know, like it's not really a coherent world that doesn't work as as a as a whole, doesn't have a believable history, nothing you can follow. And uh, so I would I would rant about that. I would rant about how uh, if magic actually existed, like d- d- magic users need to, they just go about their business. But it's like, okay, first level spell is charm person. If you knew that. Like, uh, that magic users have the ability that, to just make you their friend for a while, and you would do whatever you want for them. If you met a magic <laughs> user and you thought, hey, they're pretty cool, wouldn't there be a part of it that goes, mm. I wonder if I turn me. It's like, you may as well call that spell the date rape spell. And it's just like, you know, people would not trust magic users, period. Like, there would be, you know, and, and that's how <clears throat> the conversation about how we ended up uh, sort of uh, magic in, in Dragon Age got started and, and I, I, uh, an idea of having a sense of history um, in terms of uh, the evolution of cultures and, and, and uh, something that's a little bit more grounded. Because the thing is that uh, fantasy history tends to be like 10,000 mm. years pass and really nothing changes. You have these epic battles and ages and empires fall and collapse and, and then rise again. It's like... Uh, it just felt uh, a little bit disingenuous to me. So it's like, the, after a while of us talking, um, I get a sense of like, okay, let's make something that uh, is a bit more grounded in um, our history, the way our history developed. But just like, our, what if, you know, mind is like in real-world... European history, but what if there was magic? Okay. How would that have changed our history? How would real people have viewed magic? And I mean, the first version of this world uh, didn't have dark spots. Ah. But, um, that came later. That was James. James uh, I made this. This uh, like it was. I mean, I was. Going, I was worked on it for a good six months. I came back. Like, <laughs> um, here's this thing, and he and he, We were talking like going through because I. I made the world and sort of... I didn't know what the story of the first game was going okay. to be. Okay. So when I made the world, I kind of have uh, had different places. It's like there are conflicts seeded into the history of these different places. And uh, Ferelden was one of them. And the conflict that was seeded there was... Uh, I guess it was something similar like uh, to Darkspawn. Not quite how they ended up in Dragon Age in the end. But there was a, um, uh, creatures that would rise up there periodically and he, he went like because I was like here are this different ones and like I had a, I, we could have set the game into winter Empire or, or lay each one had like the this is if we set it here this is sort of what the the, the, the overall story would, would be about and what the conflict would be. And he he went I like the one in Ferelden. but I think we need to make this 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 the this race this evil creature um, it was an evil force and he was like, "I mean, I let's make a genetically evil horde creature um, that the players can kill and, and not worry about the morality of it um, but make that more of a setting wide thing so I was like, oh, okay, so I went back uh, created the Darkspawn and the Grey Wardens as sort of the, the organization that the players would belong to and blah blah blah, that's it went through iterations. It wasn't like uh, I came and here's the setting and everybody's like, okay, great. And they used that, right? It, it went through some development. The, originally, the, the restrictions on magic were much, much greater.
1: Okay.
0: They weren't, mages didn't have offensive oh. magic. And then it's like, uh, they took a look at that and they're like, well, can I cast a fireball? And I was like, no. And they're like, well, <laughs> you need to change that then.
1: <laughs> All
0: right, fine, fine. Uh, I mean, it, it was a good lesson. Um, because I slowly learned, uh, there's a difference between, th- you know, when you're making a setting, there's a difference between making things in the setting that are interesting to hear about or read about versus interesting yeah. to play with or play under, you know what I mean? And then uh, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, if I did this again, uh, I would have a much better, easier time of it because, um... There was a couple of things like there was that lesson that needed to be learned. There was also the lesson that the the people who were working on the gameplay side, who were coming up with systems like how they wanted the combat to run, we should have spoken <laughs> way more than we did. Um, we just, we we ended up the they thought we were making something like Conan. Okay. And I was making something like Lord of the Rings, and we only realized this later on, at that point, neither of us sort of wanted to do uh, okay. <laughs> So when you look at Dragon Age Origins, uh, especially some of the earlier uh, artwork that, you know, when we first showed it, if I told you, yeah, the team couldn't figure out whether we were going to do Tolkien or, or, or Conan, you'd be like, no, it just makes
1: <laughs> sense. <laughs> um, so I, I read somewhere or heard somewhere, I, I can't remember, that um, by the time you kind of created the world or the setting, Every time someone joined the team, um, they would have to go and take this huge kind of tome home and then read it. Is, is that true? None of printed
0: papers. No, there just was uh, so much okay. documentation. Um, because we're we we're talking about the there is the narrative overview for Dragon Age Origins itself, which was huge. Which is not. Which is here's the narrative overview for the whole a game as a whole. Then it breaks down to each of the major sections like um, Redcliffe. The Red Cliff plot has its own narrative overview that takes you step by step through what happens at, at Redcliffe. Um, so, in order to understand, you'd have to read all the narrative overviews to sort of get the breadth of it. And, but there's also, there was all the online documentation we had um, about all the history. <coughs> because there was uh, my thing that I wanted I had two things uh, that I wanted in far as the lore went. And uh, one was that there always had to be way more lore than the player... That was actually necessary. because um, so I found uh, okay. games that... Uh, they've o- you tell you know, they've only created as much lore as the player is... The- you need for where the player currently is. And you get the sense that it's like, it's like you're walking through a world... You know, those old west sets... Where everything's like a like a paper <laughs> facade, and there's nothing behind it, like that. That's to me what that world feels like. But we, like I, we have all this information, and about you know Orle, Tavinter, the rest of the world, um, that the writer knows about,
1: and I wanted every
0: writer to know it. Thus, when they're talking, you can encounter people from these places or hear snippets of of you know from some other land. Or the people would drop uh, mentions about history in the way you would when you when people talk to each other, especially if you're, you're talking to somebody who's yeah. learned, it, right? You hear about these things, and it sort of it soaks in. Even if you don't remember it all, you get a sense that it's out there, and that yeah. gives you this impression of a, of a of an actual breathing universe. The other one uh, I always had uh, my 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 two edicts about lore um was that i wanted it to be all history had to be written from a viewpoint um so sometimes Ah, we would have lore that there'd be several different documents for because it's like here's how the elves view these events here's how humanity views these events and maybe here's what actually happened um but so everything had a slant. And generally, I was like, the most important one that the players should hear the most often is whoever was the, the victor. That, that When you read history, it's not, here's a dry recitation as if we're writing an encyclopedia entry. Here, it's written from us a, by a specific person. Like, all these people had names, the, the sages who wrote them, and they have an opinion about what happened, which, which should color. And so what happened is, like, when the player is playing an elf, initially, all the lore stuff they get is or, or all the the Dalish versions of history, and so the player. I just. I wanted to impart that history is never neutral. It, it mm-hmm. has the that you're seeing always seeing it through a lens, and people have this weird idea that there's like this. Uh, here is history is like a, a objective. That uh, yeah. whatever you've learned is always what actually happened, and nothing more. And it's like no, it's it's never like that. And so we can never. I, I want to never establish that there were things that weren't certain. That uh, if there's a God, we will never answer that question, like whether the Maker actually exists. Because that was pissed me. That's another thing that pissed me off about D&D. Gods with stats, and and, <laughs> and where's faith? Without you can't have faith without doubt, and you can't have oh, doubt can have doubt if there is a tangible being that can literally walk, walk in and say, hey, how's it going? Like, <laughs> you may, I think that there's less faith in, in, among clerics as there is devotion. You can be devoted to a being yeah. that's very powerful. Sure. They give, you, they give you magic. They give you stuff. Like, No, let's, let's have faith that is actually bound in faith. And there are opinions about... Like, the farther we go back to really ancient history, uh, we have a lot of, of uh, different things that get said about it. And players can, they can talk about it. They can, they can speculate as to what the truth is. But it's always, there's always somewhere in between all those those different stories. And I always liked that idea, way more. That this, this made it feel more real to me.
1: Yeah, um, it's lovely to hear you kind of lay all of that out. Yeah. Um Sorry, I I, I can ramble I... a lot
0: when I start talking about that, you know? no, no,
1: <laughs> it. it's nice to hear. Uh, one of the things I really loved about um, Origins is. Um, how it tempted me to the to the dark side, yeah. which is, I said, you know, games have um, good and bad. Lots of bioware games have good and bad, but Origins was one of the first games that tempted me to like a dark side playthrough on my first uh-huh. go, and, and I kind of did this, I kind of did this accidentally because I was trying to impress Morrigan, um, and then <laughs> in trying it. to impress That'll Morrigan, yeah, she, I accidentally killed Win, and then I was like, well, I want blood magic, so I had to sacrifice that boy in Redcliffe. Um, uh, to the uh, demon, uh, and then yeah. I was like, "Do you know what? I'm gone down the path now. I might as uh, Shale disagreed with me, and I, I had to kill her or somewhere. And then, and then Zevran got killed somewhere along the line, and I ended up executing Alistair. As and you do. I was. I went full full scale, but I, so I'm sorry for killing your characters. No, that's fine. Uh, but, uh, I, I made I them hope, killable. That's
0: what
1: I'm there for. <laughs> I hope you don't think I'm a monster. I didn't do that in the other games, um, uh, but characters. Of course, are one of the things synonymous with Bioware, but but also the Dragon Age series, you know, this idea that we're going to go out and recruit a new team, and we're going to get to know these characters, possibly have a, a saucy little kiss, a saucy little rendezvous with one of the characters. But this is the kind of thing uh, that the series is um, adored for, and I know you've written probably dozens um, of them now, but but some of the best, uh, the the best loved ones. Do, do you have a process for writing characters, and do you have any favorites?
0: Yes, there's a process, but it would be difficult to impart because, I mean, there are stages that you go through when creating characters and things you like to avoid. Um, but it, the exact process is never the same from project to project because they all have different okay. requirements. Um, so there are things I like to do with characters, like um, I like, like to give them agency, for instance. And, um, that, that the player doesn't control their every women emotion. I think that that I find really important. Um, but, yeah, it, it varies from project to project. Um, as for a favorite, well, I mean, I get asked this a lot. I, I, I will vacillate a little bit between Alistair
1: because um, he was funny. Sorry, I executed him. <laughs>
0: That's funny. I mean, <laughs> I, when I put together characters... I want them to have elements which are likable and which are objectionable. I don't yeah. think, the to me, a failed character is one that nobody ever talks about or cares about. Like, they're fine. Right. That character's fine. Like, um, I, is great. She's a great character. She's fine. <laughs> She's not, there's nothing to object to Win about, and so... In a way, I would say that she's a failed character. I shouldn't say that. Um, There's <laughs> there certainly ones that are you could say are, are failed characters that just not only aren't talked about, but just weren't maybe the, the, their arc or whatever wasn't well thought out or whatever. win, win, win was great. But uh, in terms of a successful character, in my mind, that I like to try to put together personally, um, it's, it's one that, that has... You, you could argue about them in terms of whether they're a good character or a bad character, or that they're like. Alistair fit that mold rather nicely. Is, is he likable? Yes. Is he a man child that that ends up sort of putting you <laughs> on the spot in, in some weird ways? Yes. Like a, they're they're both he's both good or bad. Um, so yeah. Execute him? Sure, absolutely. Why wouldn't you?
1: I think it's just because there was a big red button in front of me oh. that was like, you could do this. And you I was like, I, I could. I could do that. <laughs> um, so, who was, so who was the other character? Oh, so uh, Alistair uh, was uh, Morgan
0: I between, Alistair and Morgan generally. They were my, my first two uh, Dragon Age characters that I got to write and where I got to uh, uh, explore and sort of... Because uh, I, I wrote a number of characters before then, absolutely. About uh, Knights of the Old Republic, uh, Neverwinter Nights... Ballersgate, sure, um, but rarely did I get to create my own characters, uh, and not only just right. not only, uh, not just create the characters as an as who they are as a character, but their role within the game I was making. Because here I was crafting the, the story as a whole as well, right? So, um, Alistair and Morgan were the first two characters that were that were designed for DAO, um, and they were designed to sort of be the ones that sort of fit into the overall narrative the best. Hmm. You know, your Lancelot and your Morgan Le Fay kind of thing, right? And uh, so that was the, they were my favorites. Uh, Dragon Adorns it was a big project, 1.2 million words. Um, Alistair and Morgan were by far the largest characters within it, had the most writing. So I was with them both for a long time. Uh, the, the process yeah. of recording the voiceover was was my was my favorite especially Morgan uh, uh, got to know Claudia Bellack quite well and it was it was just a it was a super process and and, and they are characters that to this day if I ever need to step back like if I need to write Morgan it's like putting on a pair of comfortable old shoes I just get those out of the closet put them on mm-hmm. within five minutes I'm right back in that voice I know exactly what it is so yeah the, they were
1: love time favorites so so romances are you know another big or key part i suppose um of bioware um, i
0: wrote characters way better than we wrote plot like the plot was always serviceable you know the, the story what's going on but everybody loved the characters and what drove people through the story and made them
1: care about it definitely definitely so um this idea of romances I was trying to track back because um, Dorian is another character you're you're very well known for and of course uh, there were the headlines around Dorian being the first kind of exclusively uh, gay character in, in the games and I know that got sort of pulled in different ways that, um, that thing but so I was looking back on like the timeline and I was wondering at what point did kind of queer representation or same sex um, ro- romances become a thing because I think you were there at the start of this. I read somewhere that I think it starts, I think you started writing on Baldur's Gate too. And I think you even came, suggested the idea back then, no, but I the idea did. wasn't, no. Uh, I mean, I, ah. I, I
0: mean, I was I, I wasn't out to everybody I worked with until sometime in Neverwinter Nights, I think. For a long time, I just thought, I had I, I, been 27. Uh, I was actually a fair bit older than most of the people I worked with, including my boss. Okay. Um, And I always thought there was this kind of this um, uh, frat boy mentality. uh, That was my sense. I was like, you know what? I don't need to tell them about my personal life. And I certainly didn't think it had anything to do with video games. Didn't. Yeah. You you don't have anything that's gay in video games, surely. (laughs) Um, So I never. I'm not where the suggestion came from. In fact. uh, we were doing romances, and I was fine with I love writing romances, but I guess I always thought, I guess I'll always write romances for someone else. Yeah, that's fine. I, I have, I I, I, being a writer means you're, you're empathetic. You, you, you're constantly putting on other shoes to inhabit. Um, so I had no problem with that. That's how, what writing was to me. Um, or I didn't, even you know, I, I guess I didn't think about it. So I didn't have a problem with it because just, cause, cause it just was not meant to be. So I guess I just put it on my mind. Um, it wasn't until uh, Bioware made a game called Jade Empire. Um, yeah. I, that was I made by it, another yeah. team on, on the, the, in the company. Um, and I heard it came up sort of from below that they were including uh, two, two of their romances could be romanced by people of the same gender, like same-sex romances. So I was like, what? Can we, <laughs> is that something we can do? Um, and I think we were still in the planning stages for DAO, um, and I was a little bit nervous because then Jade Empire went out, and I think everyone at the company was sort of like wait, wait, waiting for, as it went out, for the bomb to hit, like for the, the blowback reaction. People being like, what think of the children or something? You know, like <laughs> I, got, you know, to this day, I wish I knew who suggested it at Bioware. Like, we, like somebody, obviously, somebody on, on in Jade Empire did. And I don't know whether it was the writers themselves or whether it was the, um, the project director. I mean, he clearly allowed it. But I have no idea where the inclination came from. It just it did. And then it went out, and, and the reaction, because this is, this is early enough that we didn't have the, the dialogue and, and the, the online sort of uh, pushback to alt-right uh. and all that. It was just the, the reaction was positive across the board the, the, the DNMR got nothing but praise for that. So when I heard that, I was very excited. And I went to, to James as we were working on the DAO. And I'm like, can we do that? Because <laughs> um, if we can, you know, I have some characters in mind. <laughs> and uh, James was cool with it. I mean, uh, uh, look, people can say what they want about EA. Uh, any Anybody up the chain of command could have just put the kibosh on that and said, nope. Nope. but nobody did. Nobody ever did, and they were always very encouraging. Um, so uh, we started off. It was like, but encouraging. But we had to make the the the, the, the content work for as many different types of players as possible. So uh, okay. it was less at that point. It was less about these characters are bisexual as opposed to their player sexual. They they they're, uh, they're good with whatever the whatever gender the player is.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: Um. And, I mean, I I was trying at that point, like, I I didn't care for that as much, so I tried to have them talk about having relationships. Um, It varied with the character. Like, Zevron, uh, for instance, uh, was mostly straight, I would say. Um, And Leliana was more mostly gay. Um, But, I mean, it it, it varied a little bit. Uh, But, yeah, they, they always had to be bisexual, um, that that even got pushed even further in Dragon Age Two. It wasn't until uh, Dragon Age Inquisition where I was like, there was enough discussion online about how the sort of the how this played into representation, how you could be saying things with what you wrote that maybe you didn't intend to say, like by, mm-hmm. by in terms of what you omitted and who this was written for. By the time we got to so by the time we got Dragon Age Inquisition, I was like, I would like for these characters to all have set sexualities that the player did not influence. (coughs) And and Mike Langlois was my uh, creative director at the time. and He was like, yeah, cool. Let's do that. (laughs) But yeah, the Um, original, the original, back in Dragon Age Origins, it was still very new and I was very excited.
1: So it's, I mean, it sounds like obviously the way Bioware grew up as a company I, it doesn't sound like there was much of an L, LGBTQ plus community there, you know, or, or it was maybe, well, but I guess when I say that Bioware there was a, a rat a boy, meta- you
0: know, sort of, that was my sense. I was wrong. Uh, I, uh, okay. <laughs> I was quite sad about it. Cause it's like, <clears throat> I remember, I remember the day um, when uh, I think if you think back before Canada we passed uh, uh, gay marriage fairly early, among, if you look at the, amongst all countries, but even before that, it got passed to provincially, I think in Ontario, <coughs> and so, uh, there was a, a message sent out from one of the programmers saying, hey guys, I'm, I'm going to Ontario, Ontario with my partner to get married, and everybody in the company was like, yay, that's fantastic, that's fantastic, and I was like, oh. <laughs> I had, you know, I, I had completely misjudged these people. And uh, the fact that, that they, you know, um, it sort of became aware there, there were always uh, a few of us working at the company. Um, were, we weren't really a community or anything, but, I mean, it, it just even it, it large enough numbers, it's bound to happen, right? So there always were some. And then uh, I think we became more identifiable as time went on. Like, there was a point where I was out to everybody, uh, my coworkers. And there was a point where I think sometime during the DA reaction where finally I I, I got sick of um, splitting hairs verbally when talking to the public uh, and having to say, like speak from a, a, a neutral point of view and say oh, no, you know what, I am gay, so let me tell you my perspective about what you're saying and how it applies to me directly because <laughs> you're not just talking to some uh, these the, the things, these the things, you keep spouting off. Like you're saying it directly to the face of, of a gay man. So, you know, let me tell you that, so you can maybe think twice. Yeah. <coughs> and they said that was being uh, op- open publicly at that point.
1: Yeah. So, at what point in all of this do you start f- thinking about moving on from Bioware? Hmm.
0: Uh, you
1: see,
0: I think I was starting to feel like I needed to move on sometime during Dragon Age Inquisition. Um,
1: Is this the burnout that you mentioned? No,
0: I, I I I had been through writer burnout a couple of times by this point. And that was just, uh, the first time was the worst. That was uh, um, when I was starting uh, Neverwinter Nights. I just, suddenly I hit this wall and I couldn't. Write anymore, and it was very upsetting because I was the machine. Um, Mm. But uh, everybody was very understanding, James was very understanding, and they just sort of helped me. Like, I just had to find tools to cope with it and sort of slowly um, bring my, you know, teach myself how to deal with the blank page because I'd never had to worry about that before. And uh, so slowly came back, and then finally it was good, and then I eventually burned out again um, at, right after Dragon Age Origins. <laughs> big surprise. Um, <laughs> it just was working so much. Um, and then I was writing the novels as well, so that was a, that was a lot of writing just constantly, yeah. constantly. Laser- and I required laser-like focus, so big, no big surprise that eventually I just burned out. Uh, but no, it wasn't the burnout. I think the company was just starting to change, and I started to feel like um, I was always going to be in the position I was in, um, which was a mid-level manager. Like uh, I don't think I, they were really considering me a, a serious candidate for creative director. I could there's several things I could think of as to why that might be, but seeing people get a lot of them get promoted past me at that point, and I. I did enjoy writing, and I and I still do, and 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 to a point, I was like, I will always enjoy this, but it's also I want more say over what I'm making and why I'm making it, and uh, um, in order, I just I have that urge, and so I wanted to try to to feel my way up to something that more responsibility, and then there was also an element that the company itself was starting to change in a way that I. Did not care for um, the the, the I, I felt like I'd reached my the end of my tenure on Dragon Age. Like I'd yeah. written all the wizards and elves and demons stories I had in me, so I was like, I need to leave here. <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't me. Like I need to leave my words. Like I'm just I can't write keep writing Dragon Age. If I I, I could <clears throat> I'm a professional I can I can write things that are you know because I'm told to write them and like, I'll make them as good as I can. <laughs> that's that's what you do as a professional. You don't always get your druthers. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, but uh, it's like uh, uh, I needed to move on. You know, like it, I'm doing a disservice to the project if I stay. And there were there was some, yeah. Patrick Weeks was another writer who was like ready to step into my shoes. Fresh, he would only been working on the project for a couple of years at that point. So <coughs> it's like I, it was. Like I, I was set up to leave, and I moved, the project I moved on to next was what became Anthem. And it really wasn't my cup of tea. I wasn't gelling with the, the team very well because um, they were mostly people from Mass Effect, and they didn't. There was always a bit of a, a weird internal rivalry in Bioware between people who worked primarily on Dragon Age and people who worked primarily on Mass Effect. It was like two studios under one roof, honestly.
1: I got the i i I got the sense of that. You know, it it, it does feel like that. Yeah, yeah for well, for better and worse.
0: Yeah, I mean uh, that, that just was it was too two different cultures, honestly. Um, and that it just happened. Like I don't know that much could have been done about it. They tried to um, uh, put people, you know, shift them between projects as much as possible to avoid that. But really, it was, it was up to the project management, uh, like the project directors. And, and I mean, each one just had a different style and that engendered a different mm. culture. Mark Dara and versus uh, 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 Casey... Hudson. State. Hudson. Hudson. Casey Hudson. Yes. They just had very, very opposite styles, and so that their teams reflected that. So, I, I really didn't seem to gel as well with the Mass Effect people on Anthem, and I think it had very different goals. Um, it, I mean, I, I could, I could say a lot. A lot has been written about Anthem. I don't want to badmouth them, I, and there was a lot yeah. of good stuff about it too. And I was, I was sort of torn. I just felt like. This isn't really what I want, so maybe maybe it's time for me to look somewhere else.
1: Yeah, is it? You know, given your kind of role um, creating Dragon Age, is it? it, it, Does it feel strange now? This idea that, I mean, Patrick Weeks, you know, you know the people that um, are making the game, but does it feel? Does it feel weird that you know it's not you, and that a game's going to come out, which presumably, by all accounts, has gone through you know various big iterations yeah, now, and like yeah. it might come out and you don't know what it is and well you know what it is but
0: i i, I mean I, I, I don't i i'll be mostly surprised just like everyone else i know a little bit just from uh you know talking, do they still phone you, you up to yeah, ask yeah, you questions yeah no 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 David! there was a, they, there was a process before i left where they're like okay we need to dig everything that's that only exists in David Gator's head and make sure we get get it down on paper. Then they went through that process because there was a long time where it's like there was a number of our things that only existed in my head, like the deep, deep lore. Until eventually <laughs> they were like, "That's a problem. We need to we need to get because you know what if you're hit by a bus? We need to get this on paper." I was like, "All right, fine." And then it was like Ben Benjellouna uh, had been hired at the time to wrangle up like because we had this, all this online stuff a lot of it was legacy and out of date and nobody knew which was which and so he was like okay he had to get rid of all the legacy stuff and then like codify our wiki and put make it all organizable and a lot of this was him dragging all the stories out of my head and getting them on paper uh which is a fun process so no they 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 never needed to um, ask me stuff you know a lot of times they i'm sure they they've gone and they've changed stuff since i left who knows uh Maybe the Deep Lore I once knew no longer applies. It's very
1: very <laughs> do, you awesome. have any, do you have any secret hopes uh, for the new <laughs> game? Something that you would love to see in it? Yes, but they'd
0: never do it. So I, 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 I'm not going to. If I talk about it, the, the Dragon Age fans, they, they, they probably would get up in arms. So I'm not going <laughs> to say it. And I know they won't, they won't, because I remember when I brought up my plan that I wanted to do this. The rest of the team, including Patrick, were horrified. They were like, no, <laughs> we can't do that. I'm like, yes, but we are. So I know that with me being gone, they're never going to do it. So, all right, fine. That's fine. That's fine. And I, mean, I, mean, I have to let go. Like, There will come a point where the next DA4 comes out, and it won't be what I would have made. Yeah. Can't be. Um, and I will have to reconcile with the fact that it's no longer my baby. So, and that they will—they will make decisions about things that change the world, and I'll be like, but I, you know, if I <laughs> and I can't help that, and neither can they. But it has to be. It has to be. It has to become uh, what Patrick Weeks and John Epler want to make it, and I'm sure it'll be great. And I—I I, I, the one thing I'll have to figure out eventually is will I play it.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. That's yeah. a that's a tricky one. I imagine there's. There'll be a lot of feelings um, in that It's moment. like, would
0: I, would I enjoy it, is really the question. Like, and I'm not sure, could I enjoy it for what it actually is, as opposed to... Or will I just be constantly second-guessing it and not playing the RPG, but sort of uh, judging it, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so I'll have to to suss out my feelings once it comes out. I, I think I probably, in the end, will probably... Uh, need to go in a private room, play it, and then not talk to anybody publicly about how, what my feelings are.
1: Yeah, just... Mm.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe so, you talk to Patrick about it.
1: Yeah. Um, so, so thank you very much um, for your time. We're coming to the end. I, I know I've kept yeah. you um, kind of uh, longer, quite a lot longer than I expected, so thank you very much. But I've got a few little questions uh, sure. to ask you at the end, which I ask everyone. Uh, it's oh. a trio of questions. And the first of these is appropriately, uh, and we might have covered this, um, your first game. What was your first game that you played?
0: Oh, um, I mean, uh, ignoring Pong, I, think was, was, I was fascinated by it, I was too young to really play. Um, the first game I remember playing and being really excited about, um, oh, the game called? It was a game called Santa Paravia. But I can't remember anything about it. But so i say the first one I played long term was one of the, I think it was maybe the original Ultima. Okay. Yeah. Because I remember, like, Center for Alien, like, was was like, the first game I ever played, but it was like a, a really early, early version of a builder. But then, the, yeah, the original Ultima came along and that for me was like, was amazing. <laughs> uh, possibly, it may have been, uh, it may have been the first Wizardry. There's a series called Wizardry, Mm. uh, which is more like a first-person-moving-through-dungeons kind of thing. Um, So one of the two. One of the two.
1: Okay. Um, The next one is Last Game. So what was the last game? The most recent game? Yeah, excluding your own game.
0: Uh, Well, I I just finished replaying um, The Last of Us 2. Okay, um, yeah, uh, I just uh, wanted to go and because it has such lovely cinematics, and I and I it some of the actors that that I'm working with right now and, and adore, so I wanted to check them out. Um, but I mean, uh, in terms
1: of the last new game that I played, um, what was it? <laughs> I can't. I can't remember. It's been it's been a while since I. I don't often get a chance to sit down and play them.
0: I play them like in bouts when I have time free. It takes up a nice amount of evening, but uh, the last new game I played, yeah, I can't remember. I, I went through a long period where I was playing a lot on uh, picking up small games on Steam. Yeah. Uh, just sort of to to because. Uh, it's a, it's a toss-up whether i played something to enjoy it or to analyze it. Okay. You know, and so I went through a long period recently where I was analyzing a lot of the games. So somewhere in there was a new game that I played just to enjoy, but I just can't
1: remember. <laughs> um, okay, and then the, the third of these questions is best game, which I guess could be interpreted as your favorite game. Or um, can be favorite games, because I know this is a tricky... Oh, yeah, well...
0: To, to say best overall is hard, because uh, there's, there's so many different... I'd have to break it down into categories, and you know, that's... would take too much time, that's not what you're <laughs> for. Best recent game, Disco Elysium.
1: Okay. That
0: yeah, is the good. one that stands sad. out as in that was a, a real game-changer, like a, a, an RPG without combat, that had such evocative writing and style, like just oozing out of it, it was amazing.
1: Yes, yes, a very, very good mood, very strong mood uh, from that game. David, yes. thank you so much um, again. Thank you to everyone um, um, who's listening. Uh, but David, thank you most of all. Thank you for having me. To everyone else, um, join us again soon for another episode of One to One. Bye for now.